Welcome to our first segment of this afternoon's program. It's Sunday, the 15th of August, 2021. It is now 102 in the studio. I'm your host, Kieran Murdoch. Uh, this topic is being discussed in light of the protest held in Antigua on Sunday, August 8th, which was broken up by police riot response officers who used tear gas on the crowd. Uh, the incident has been the biggest news item of the week in Antigua and Barbuda, and all three segments of our show today are devoted to different aspects of this issue. In this discussion, we wish to get both reactions to what took place from a, a legal perspective, uh, but also we wish to broaden the discussion to get our panelists' views about the right to protest being observed under pandemic circumstances. Uh, the nature of a pandemic, of course, is such that large gatherings of people in close contact is discouraged or prohibited. Uh, yet, of course, that is traditionally exactly how protests uh, take place. Uh, so is there a need to preserve the right to protest in the same form which they have traditionally been held despite the pandemic? And are we effectively doing so in Antigua and Barbuda? Uh, just to give you a rundown, though I don't believe it's possible that anybody listening isn't aware of what's been happening in Antigua, uh, the organizers of the Sunday the 8th protest, which was broken up by police, uh, reportedly requested permission uh, from the commissioner in writing to hold a march beginning at the VC Bird bust. Uh, they report that they made the request well in advance, but were denied uh, two days or so before the event. Uh, they resolved to hold a picket rather than a march and encourage would-be marchers to come out and picket. Uh, police officers arrived and were unsuccessful in getting the crowd to disperse. The crowd was not, however, violent or disorderly, uh, though they were in the street. Uh, riot units then arrived and warned the crowd that if they did not disperse, uh, tear gas would be used. The crowd did not disperse, and so tear gas was used. So in this segment, our overall question is when is a protest lawful and how is the right to protest affected by the pandemic and the state of emergency? Uh, we are joined on this panel by Mr. Joe Mosanga Thomas. He actually joined us last week out of uh, St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Uh, he's an attorney at law, a uh, former senator. Uh, he's a political and social commentator in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And uh, he actually joined us last week, as I said, in discussing the protests that took place there, at which uh, Dr. Ralph Gonzalez was injured. But we're happy to have you back with us, Mr. Joe Mosanga Thomas. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to your listeners. I'm delighted to be with you back one more time. Uh, we we're going to have a very good discussion. Uh, we also have with us Ms. Shaniel Imhoff. Uh, she's a local entrepreneur and health activist, mental health activist. She's a member of the Democratic National Alliance, and I will ask all our guests to unmute their microphones at this point. Um, and she's the party's team leader in the constituency of St. Peter. Uh, good afternoon, Ms. Shaniel Imhoff. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Kieran. I'm doing quite well. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. And finally, we're joined by Mr. Stafford Byers. He is an Antiguan and Barbudan. He's an attorney joining us from New York. Uh, he's no stranger to Observer Radio, of course. He's joined several of our programs recently over the years to discuss constitutional and legal and social matters in Antigua and Barbuda. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mr. Stafford Byers, and how are you doing? Good afternoon. I'm doing well, and good afternoon to the guests and to the listeners. I will put the question to Mr. Stafford Byers. The ability to freely protest is guarded by the right to freedom of assembly and the right to freedom of expression. Uh, but even outside of emergency circumstances uh, and in normal circumstances, the ability to protest is subject to laws uh, made in the reasonable interest of public health and public order, uh, among other things. Uh, what would you want to say about the right to protest just to open our discussion this afternoon? It, the right to protest uh, is a fundamental right, which means uh, there, there must be extenuating circumstances under which those rights are abrogated. And those circumstances must glean a response from the government that is reasonably suited to the situation. Because these rights are so important 
they should not be easily tampered with. And, and, and that is at the crux of this matter, that these rights are important. These rights are enshrined in the Constitution, not because the Constitution gives those rights. The Constitution doesn't give those rights. Those rights are ours naturally, going back to a whole concept of law called natural law. What the Constitution does, it recognizes and enshrines those rights to say that these rights cannot be easily abrogated. And Mr. Shaniel Imhoff, uh, if I could ask you, um, what would you want to say as we open this discussion uh, in relation to the right to protest, the right to assembly and, and freedom of expression, as I've mentioned, which are uh, uh, normally limited based on reasonable laws for certain things such as public health and public public order? But what would you want to open with? Good afternoon once again. I'd just like to say that you know, protests and any sort of civil disobedience, they are hallmarks of a mature democracy. And as the two gentlemen who preceded me said, you know, it is very important for us to maintain said rights unless in a very extenuating circumstance. And that is and has been the position of the Democratic National Alliance on the right to protest. Uh, and Mr. Jomo Sanger Thomas, what would you want to say about the right to protest, just to open our discussion? In a large, to a large extent, these are rights that should be allowed to be, uh, to be exercised. And I, I, I believe that we are entering a very difficult, slippery slope when governments, carte blanche, believe that they can just take away these rights by simply saying that a given reality uh, allows for the, for the circumscribing of those rights. Mr. Stafford Byers, uh, there's been a lot of commentary, official and non-official, that seems to have reached a consensus that the gathering on Sunday the 8th was unlawful. Uh, what is your view? Well, I, I noticed the same on Facebook in some of the discussions, from even from people I thought uh, would have come to different conclusions. I, I have not yet come to that conclusion. And I tell you why. In order to reach that conclusion, since the persons who applied for the permit to march did so in a very timely manner, based on the record, it seems as if they did it way back on July 20th. And for some unfathomable reason, some may determine that they were sinister. Uh, the response didn't come until uh, August 5th, which is three days before the, the march. Uh, I think that the response should have been sooner so that the proper appeals could have been sued because there are at least two steps of appeals to the, to the minister and then to the court. When, when governments do these kind of actions, they, they almost push people to, to resort to other actions. So I, I am not, I, I'm not in agreement that it is illegal. However, arguing, even arguendo, if it were illegal, I don't think the response was the appropriate one. And Ms. Shaniel Imhoff, um, in terms of uh, peaceful pickets that we have seen in Antigua and Barbuda, uh, we have seen a number of them. We've seen them over uh, the case to do with Nigel Christian. We've seen them over pensions. We've seen them over a number of issues. And they have not met with uh, a confrontational police 
presence. Um, the police position uh, in this matter is that um, they had denied permission for a march and being that um, organizers brought people to the same location, uh, they determined that they were going to uh, put an end to the activity that was taking place. Uh, and they didn't particularly consider it legitimate that the organizers said they had transformed their march into a picket. But what is your, what is your impression uh, of whether or not this is an isolated incident or whether or not, because as I mentioned, we do have, uh, we have seen other pickets uh, throughout time that have not been met with confrontation. So what is your view of this incident and why it turned out this way? Well, for me, I have seen many pickets. I have participated in many pickets and protest actions as well. And I would say in my lifetime, this has been some of the most excessive use of force I have seen for especially such a peaceful, a, such a peaceful demonstration. Now, whereas the permission was not given for a match, it is important to note that the protesters were not matching. They were stationary. They're very much stationary because that's why it's very important to understand you know, the use of you know, things like social media because from the many live feeds that came through, from the many photos and reports that came through from participants and passers-by, you could see that persons were stationary and it was made very clear by the organization, by the organizers that this is not a march, this is a peaceful protest slash picket because we were not given the permission to march and did not have the time to make said appeal. So the excessive use of force against these persons who were there peacefully I think really needs to be assessed and looked at and we need to understand why this happened and what we can do to ensure that this that this does not happen again okay. because once again it is very important to maintain those fundamental rights of citizens. Uh, Mr. Jomo Sanga Thomas, we are in the midst of a pandemic and part of the regulations governing our actions in this pandemic are prohibitions on the size of public gatherings and public spaces. Uh, so this too has um, made large gatherings in public unlawful, at least without some form of special authorization. I, I don't know. But um, I do know that the, the regulations exist which do prohibit large gatherings. Um, are COVID rules unfairly uh, preventing protest? I mean, we are in the midst of a deadly pandemic. Well, I would say yes, because you see the law requires the state action to something that is least restrictive to the fundamental right which individual citizens have. You know, there's this CCJ, Caribbean Court of Justice, uh, Peter Jamada, and Peter Jamada says that when we look at some of these pronouncements, we have to wonder if this is rule by law or rule of law. We are supposed to be guided by the rule of law. And I think that Justice Peter Jamada of the CJ has a point. To a large extent, we have some of these state authorities stressing what the law says and not engaging in what should be the rule of law. So clearly, even if you had that picket, you could have had ask the people to move and not to, to clump together, to come together closely. They could have been six feet apart, but the state did not do that. The, 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 the freedom fighters applied with ample time. They waited until two days before and then denied the application. And then when the people clearly said, the organizers clearly said, we're not having a march, we're having a picket, 
Uh, Mr. Stafford Byers, we're on the question of the March versus the picket. So I want to play a clip for you, um, which would be uh, Rodney Three, Joe. Um, I want to play this clip for you. And this is uh, the police commissioner, Atlee Rodney, speaking at the uh, police press conference. Uh, and he was replying to a question in regards to the, 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 the issue of a march versus a picket. Normally, if you have a picket, it's in defiance of maybe a minister or a ministry or an organization, and you would be going that area. So that cop out, as I would say, to gather at the same starting point that they indicated on their correspondent and then to call it a picket was just trying to put a wool over our eyes. So uh, how do you react to that? I'd like to say before I get into my direct answer to your question that uh, I believe in the rule of law. I believe all of us as responsible citizens should not only adhere to the law but also encourage others to do the same because we have a better society, more stable society, and the opposite is anarchy. What we don't want, however, is to be so slavishly following uh, our leaders that we sacrifice our own individual rights at, at, the, at the feet of uh, obedience to the law. Now, in terms of a march versus a, a, a picket or a protest, you know, when they sent us to school, in my day, we had to get the student companion, we had to buy dictionaries, and words do have meaning. A march is when a group is moving from place to place, stepping and moving place to place. Now, a picket is a place where this group is stationary. Ms. Inhoff talked about that earlier. And one of my biggest problems with this whole situation, even after a week, one would have thought that even after 24 hours, public officials, police officers, the politicians would have taken a step back, taken a deep breath and said, you know what? Our intentions and our hearts were in the right place because we really wanted to protect the public from any kind of uh, super spreading event, which we were fearful that this would have been. That's reasonable. But maybe somehow some things happened and unwittingly some things got out of control. But we we're going to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Instead, what we have is a doubling down. And pulling and using terms like pulling the wool over people's eyes and all that type of nonsense. It shows a lack of responsibility, but it also shows a lack of respect for the populace, the citizens that these people are supposedly sworn to protect. And we need to make it clear to citizens yes, we must obey the law, but certain rights must never be trampled on. And leaders must be responsible to the citizens. And um, even if one were to consider the march unlawful, Mr. Byers, really quickly, uh, how would you say, the, how would you uh, characterize what the police did on Sunday? Well, as um, Mr. Thomas and also Ms. Inhofer have alluded earlier, one would have expected, since they were, the, the, since the crowd was so, they were noisy, that's what picketers do. They were vibrant, yes, but they were peaceful. 
Now, I understand the police wanted to come and said, look, we want to make sure that this is not a super spreading event. Okay, okay fine. But it, it would not have been that difficult to go and find whoever's in charge, ask them, look, this crowd is getting too big. Can you split into and half move to some other place to, to really conform to the COVID uh, restrictions? That's reasonable. And I tell you why it's reasonable. Because governments have a responsibility to protect public health. And if a super spreader takes place in Antigua, I, I live in Brooklyn, and I can tell you about super spread. I lived close to three hospitals, and there was a time for over two weeks period, every minute of the day you heard sirens going off, taking people to the hospital. I saw firsthand refrigerated trucks outside of hospitals because the morgues in the respective hospitals were, were, were at capacity. And this happened for weeks on end. So I don't want to see that happen in Antigua. And I understand the public officials not wanting that type of thing to happen there. It would destroy the country. But the question is, could they have done something differently in order to diffuse the situation rather than exacerbate it? And I think the answer is yes. Police commissioner and all those police brass, they went to police academy. They are members of different police organizations. They supposedly uh, read uh, professional periodicals. They're part of professional organizations and they attend professional conferences where they allegedly should go to some of these issues and have simulations. So why not apply that to the real life situation so that you can protect the public and yet respect individual rights. Uh, Michelle Imhoff, uh, the public safety minister gave a warning the day before the protest saying that if persons thought they were going to break the law, uh, quote, they have another thing coming. Uh, what is your reaction to that? You can't have another thing coming if you are not breaking the law. That's the first thing. And the second thing is going back to what Mr. Byers has been saying. There are certain ways that you do things and as professionals, we must must be able to de-escalate, serve and protect. We cannot be governing people with fear. It really doesn't work and it gets to it it, it will get to a point where people will just be pretty much on the two extremes, living in fear and not doing anything at all, or so incensed by what is taking place that they feel that it is necessary to act out. So this 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 um, threatening and doubling down, etc., it doesn't do anything to help the situation. And it's so ironic that this protest took place right in front of the bus of VC Bird. Mm. You know, it, 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 it's really ironic that this way took, and this is not their first protest either. Their first and their first protest, I think, was on uh, King Elizabeth Highway. No tear gas, no rubber bullets. Peacefully, I think they had one the other day as well that went quite peacefully. So, what the question is, what went wrong here? Uh, uh, Mr. Jomo Sanga Thomas, um, is there a risk that comes with emergency powers in, in crisis situations um, that the administrations have the ability to curtail expressions of opposition? Um, are people rightly wrong to be more suspicious of, 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 of why their ability to, uh, to, to, to protest in, in one or, or various particular instances uh, should be curtailed, especially when they're under a state of emergency? Well, I think there's a very big risk 
that state authorities believe that once a state of emergency is declared, that all of the rights that are enshrined in the Constitution are out the window. Even in emergency situation, these rights are still sacrosanct. These rights are still critically important. And I want to identify totally and completely with what both uh, Mr. Bayer and Ms. Imhoff said, that the state has to know that it has certain um, realities to meet. There was nothing about these protests, as far as I saw and read, that threatened. And to the extent that people were gathering together, the state had the responsibility to speak to people and have them disperse or, or make larger spaces between them. Because we know the protocol for now more than a year, and you should be six feet apart. There was nothing that says that the police officers, as Mr. Bayer said, could not have spoken to some of the organizers and say, look, we know you have a right. We know that you know there's a problem. We're in a pandemic, but let's cooperate so that we don't create a very difficult problem here in Antigua. They did not do that. In fact, the statement by the police the day before showed that they were paying for a fight. Uh, Mr. Stafford Byers, I, I would challenge you, though. There are many persons who are saying um, that there really was no silver lining in all of this. They are saying that while they uh, uh, totally disagree with the police use of force, uh, at the same time, they think that the organizers of the protest erred in that when the uh, uh, permission was denied uh, for the march, uh, that they called the picket anyway. Uh, and there are many persons who understand uh, that the police would have ar arrived and attempted to break it up, uh, being that it was billed as a march in the first place. Do you think that the protesters could have done any, not the protesters, the organizers rather, could have done anything differently, that they could have acted differently? Well, of, of course, they, they could have acted differently. They could have canceled the whole event and so on. But the, the bottom line is, it, was it reasonable? Was it judicious? Was it prudent for them to simply say, okay, we cannot have a march. We will instead resort to a picketing. I think that's just more than reasonable. So, so uh, people are entitled to their opinion, but in my estimation, certain rights in the constitution are inalienable people have a right to hear their grievance to seek redress and want get the attention of government and if the government yeah, like, like um mr thomas quite rightly said government can regulate certain expression in terms of time place manner and so on yes that, that that's fine but it's not to the point where government can extinguish all of our rights so yes each citizen especially the organizer have a responsibility had a responsibility in this case uh, to to operate in a reasonable and a legal manner a responsible manner. i think they did that by saying okay we cannot have a march we'll have a picket notice they didn't say we're going to ignore the, the, the police's um, decision and we're going to march nonetheless. That would have been patently irresponsible. Instead, they said, okay, we will conform to the law and we'll have a picket. I think that's reasonable. And Michelle Imhoff, um, noting all the commentary that there has been about this, there are a lot of people who are quite unsympathetic to what took place on Sunday um, for the particular reason that they uh, are not 
in accordance with the views of the of the protesters. The, the protest, of course, was a protest against various many things across the spectrum. It was an anti-state uh, of emergency. Uh, there were persons there protesting that, persons protesting uh, COVID restrictions such as mask wearing and distancing, persons protesting um, vaccination or the pressure to be vaccinated. Uh, I mean, it was a spectrum of persons, so you really can't uh, place any, any, any one uh, identifier on the whole group. Persons were encouraged to come out uh, and express uh, a great deal of anti-government sentiment across a variety of issues, many related. Um, but there are many who are unsympathetic to what took place uh, for the reason that they, they, they don't share the same views. Uh, should it matter if one shares the same views or not? It should not matter whether you share the same views as any protest, and not even here, in any sort of instance. I don't have to share your views, but I will fight for your right to hear those views in a legal and respectful way. And in this time of a state of emergency where some rights have to be curtailed, governments must govern with compassion, reason, and responsibility. Amen. Because there's already a sense of you know, fear. We're in an unprecedented time. Many of us have never gone through anything like this. So to keep piling on and not understanding where a lot of persons are coming from, it shows a severe lack of empathy on the part of persons who we would have, you know, elected and selected to serve us at the highest level. And democracy allows this, you know. I don't have to agree with you, but you have the we have the you have the right to express your opinion. I don't have to agree with it. Uh, Mr. Jomo Sanga Thomas, uh, let me ask you, I, I wonder if you could compare for us uh, the conduct, because you, you were uh, observing the protests that took place in St. Vincent, at which uh, SVG Prime Minister Ralph Gonzalez was wounded. I'm wondering if you could compare for us the conduct that you saw of the police on that day, because I, I know protests there actually became violent. Uh, in Antigua and Barbuda, the protesters at that point weren't violent, and there was violence later, there was rioting later, but they weren't violent at that point. Uh, how would you compare what took place in St. Vincent in terms of how the police marshaled that crowd as opposed to what took place on Sunday in Antigua? Look, we have been having demonstrations here since May for a combination of reasons. And um, the police had become accustomed to meeting that challenge. And I think on the when we had the last event last year, I mean last parliamentary session, when the Prime Minister was injured, the police, for the most part, did not engage in any kind of repressive action. And in fact, even after the Prime Minister was injured, the police did not resort to any repressive action. So clearly, the actions of the police here in St. Vincent was different than the police in Antigua, although some people on that same day, when the, police, when the Prime Minister was injured, one man got his head busted. And, but that didn't make any kind of news. What I can tell you, though, is that the Prime Minister of St. Vincent has said that the situation is completely different now that his blood has run. So we can imagine a markedly different situation if we get back to a point where there are public demonstrations here in St. Vincent. And uh, well, let me ask you one more question just quickly. Do you think that persons in Antigua and Barbuda, authorities, police, uh, uh, political individuals in, in government, are in some way reacting to what they saw occur days before in St. Vincent. I mean, they saw a protest where uh, things started out quite peacefully and then a number of persons began uh, setting fires, barricades, firing missiles, and uh, the Prime Minister of St. Vincent in the Grenadines was wounded. Of course, there was an outpouring of um, condemnation
condemnation across the Caribbean for the violence that took place. But do you think that perhaps yes. our authorities, and I understand we do actually have um, a rather diverse police force, uh, do you think that our authorities uh, in Antigua and Barbuda were in a sense reacting to what they saw in St. Vincent, as opposed to the peaceful crowd that was standing in front of them at the Vizy Bird bust uh, last Sunday? Yeah. Well, they may, have, they may have been responding to what they saw, but everything is not the same thing. If violence erupts, the police should be so trained and so organized to meet that eventuality. In Antigua, there was no such um, violence at all. It was the police that unleashed violence on the citizens. In St. Vincent, I gotta tell you that people started throwing water. When the prime minister was going back to parliament, people started throwing water bottles, they started throwing uh, air bottles, and then stones at the prime minister so that reality was completely different to what we saw in antigua it is truly may have been responding but i think they overreacted to what they saw in st vincent because the police across the region are supposed to be sufficiently well trained to meet any eventuality uh, and uh coming back to you uh miss shaniel well actually no mr um Mr. Mr. Stafford Byers, I just want to get your take on uh, how we go forward from this incident. Uh, we're speaking about the right to protest and uh, making sure that uh, uh, that right is not infringed, even as we, we uh, make sure that we, uh, as you say, are not going to be causing spreader events which uh, end up imperiling our, our country. Uh, how should we go forward? What, what should we learn from this incident? What should all sides learn from this incident and do differently in the future? Yes, I, I think as sensible people we ought to be reflective in whatever we do so i'm very happy for, for that uh question i think that in terms of the protesters uh it's a matter of looking at what has occurred and seeing trying to see if there's anything that they could have done differently uh, and they know the inner workings of what took place fine i think also though that the authorities be it the police commissioner the minister or the prime minister should address the nation and said, look, we have here a situation that occurred on Sunday that we don't want to occur again. The government is the government of all the people. Hence, there are two things we have to keep holding juxtaposition side by side. One, the public safety of the entire community of Antigua and Barbuda. And two, the people's rights that's enshrined in the Constitution, which must be and will always be recognized and obeyed as long as I am in whatever position, the police commissioner, the minister, or the prime minister. We want your cooperation, and we pledge you our support to make sure that we can operate in such a manner that you can raise your concerns you can have your protest and yet do so in a way that does not in any way infringe on the rights of each other or the health of the public. I think that would help in some way rather than just doubling down and saying, well, this is going to happen. This has been pulling the wool over our eyes. These statements are rather unfortunate. I really wish that people in position would listen to the prophet Michael when he said, you know, to love justice, to do mercy, and to walk humbly before God.
Uh, Michelle Imhoff, uh, what do you think we should learn coming away from this incident? What do you think uh, protest organizers can do differently in the future? If you think that there's something they could do differently in the future, what do you think the police uh, should be, do differently in the future if you think there's something they should do differently in the future? I wholeheartedly agree with the sentiments of Mr. Bias here. You know, reflection is very important. Even if something went 100% right, it's, it's, it's good to reflect on that as well because yep. there's always room for improvement. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the protesters, of course, look back, you know you know the inner workings of what took place to organizers and analyze, okay, what could we have done differently? Because many of us here who are speculating, we're not even present. It's only those who are really there who felt the effects of that day can see what truly happened, how they truly felt about it. So reflecting among themselves and one another, extremely important with the law enforcement as well. Uh, the, the feedback from not just the public locally, but regionally as well has been, yeah, no, the doubling down is not helping the situation. So possibly take a step back and try to cooperate and listen and empathize, and have a better working relationship with the public going forward so that we can all live in a much safer, society going forward. Uh, and Mr. Jomo Sanga Thomas, what do you think we ought to learn coming out of this incident uh, as we discuss uh, protecting the right to protest even amidst uh, our public health crisis? Well, I think that everyone needs to step back and do some serious introspection. I believe, though, that the state authorities need to really, really, really realize that a COVID crisis or any other crisis does not demand or does not require the state to step on all of the protected rights that are enshrined. It is true that the state has to act in a way that it has to ensure that its action is reasonably required in a democratic society. Most politicians seem to think they simply articulate the word reasonable. This is reasonably required without looking at other legal standards which courts have set up. Is it necessary? Is it proportionate? To what? And clearly the response in Antigua was not proportionate, but we are seeing that kind of hardening of the positions across the region. And I think um, Mr. Um, Byers, invocation of the prophet Micah is critically important at this time. They just have to humble themselves, step back off the high chair, which so many of them seem to be sitting on, and realize that they're dealing with citizens who are concerned in the same way in which they are concerned. All right, and with that, we can leave this segment here. I want to say thank you to all three of our guests this afternoon. We were joined uh, by Ms. Shaniel Imhoff. Uh, she, of course, is the Democratic National Alliance's team leader in the constituency of St. Peter. Uh, she's a local entrepreneur and also an activist. Uh, we were joined as well from St. Vincent and the Grenadines by Mr. Joe Mosanga Thomas. He is uh, an attorney at law, former senator, former House speaker, uh, and he did observe the protests that took place in St. Vincent and the Grenadines a week, a week plus. The leader, Ralph Gonzalez, was 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 wounded. Uh, we were also joined uh, by Mr. Stafford Byers, an Antiguan and Barbudan attorney who joined us from New York. Uh, he joins our programs often to discuss affairs in Antigua and Barbuda. Uh, thanks to all three of you for joining us this afternoon.